Hi there. I'm hoping that you're enjoying the lockdown period, the lockdown season, and that it's a time for you to get closer to the Lord and that you've been seeking the Lord, heart, soul, mind, with all your passion. I want to share with you something very powerful today. Um, some time ago, some weeks ago, while I was in the United Kingdom, uh, the Holy Spirit began to minister to me quite strongly, and he gave me a word for a particular church there saying that God had called them to give people an identity rehab. That's the phrase I got, identity rehab. But what was so powerful was I realized he was also speaking to me about that. And uh, he began to minister to me quite deeply and remind me that he had called me to really um, expand and expound on this life message he's given me on our identity in Christ. And I made a decision to actually then start a series on our identity in Christ. And I'm going to start by sharing with you this concept of identity rehab. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for who we've become in you. Thank you for the riches of your glory. Thank you, Lord, for this revelation to really sink deep into our hearts, Lord, that um, we've been recreated in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we've become a new creature, a new creation, and we open our hearts to this teaching, Lord, and we say, come and have your way. Let it not be information per se, but let it be revelation in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> What is identity? What is identity? A person's identity is the condition or character as to who a person is that distinguish or identify that person. In essence, it is the distinguishing characteristics of someone, the distinguishing characteristics of someone. And so when we talk about an identity rehab, we're talking about a rehabilitation of one's identity. Okay, to, to rehabilitate someone is to restore someone to their former capacity, their former standing, their former dignity, their former rank, their former rights, or their former privileges, right? And you can apply this to things. So we talk about rehabilitating a home, right? Or rehabilitating a forest or a garden, right? You're restoring it to its former capacity, its former standing, its former dignity, its former rank, its former rights, its former privilege. And I think it's so powerful, this concept of identity. That's one of the reasons there's so much identity theft that's been happening, right, in the world today. It's interesting, I was studying some of the statistics around it. There's 60 million Americans, right? So if you do some stats in America, there's 60 million Americans who'll say to you, I've experienced identity theft, right, where someone has stolen my identity. And what is interesting is that in the year, I think it was in around about 2017, 2018, it was 2017, right, um, they actually found that nearly 15 million people, 15 million people in that year experienced identity theft. In South Africa, the stats are interesting. It's been found that uh, when it comes to identity theft, there was a reduction between 19, 2019 and 2018. Uh, it went down by um, 48%, okay, identity theft. But it wasn't in the context that we're thinking of it. It was really in the context of uh, people doing fraudulent behavior when it comes to fabricating 
identity, not someone else's identity, but making up an identity, all right? That went down, that decreased by 48%, all right? But what I find interesting is that uh, by 99%, identity theft increased. So not creating um, identity, but actually using someone else's identity, if that makes sense, all right? Went up by 99%. So why would someone do that? Why do people do that? They do it because of the benefits that come with posing as someone else, whether it's a fake person that you make up or getting someone else's identity. They do that because if I have your name, I have your privileges. If I have your name, I have your benefits. And what's happening in South Africa at the moment, it's not just with identification. It's not just with name. It's also with uh, payslips being forged and um, employment being forged. So I'm now acting like I've got your job, right? And I'm using that to get accounts and that kind of thing. So that's quite interesting for me that we, we look at other people and we think, huh, if only I was them, that's where I will benefit. I still remember years ago at school, a guy who was a year below me, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you know what, if I had so-and-so's good looks and then that other person's money, if I was as rich as them, then I'm set for life, okay? Now, what he was saying seemed to make sense but it showed me what our hearts are like. Have you ever been in a situation where you envy someone else, where you wish you had their money, you wish you were as wealthy as them, or you wish you had their looks, okay? And these were other students he was actually talking about. One of the other guys became a model, so he was good looking. And I just, I, I hadn't even processed that far, but I could see where this guy was coming from when he made that statement. Like, you know what, guys, if I had this person's looks and if I had that person's money, then I'm set for life, right? So that envy that is in us causes us to want an identity that's not ours, right? And I think it's so sad because you have Jesus who's described as the heir of all things in scripture. He's described as the heir of all things. He's been given the name that is above every other name. He comes and he basically says, if you're in me, you have my identity. I'm giving you my name. You don't just use my name, but you now bear my name. You carry my name. He's given it to us. And you see, when we downplay that new covenant benefit that we have in Christ Jesus, what tends to happen is we will always look at other people and, and we will envy their identity and we will want to steal their identity. That's one of the reasons why people really end up worshipping all these pop stars and all these actresses and actors because they feel like, you know what, this person's got something I would have liked for myself. I wish I was you. And then we make an idol out of all these people. So I think... Some people have got what seems like great identity and they love it. And then other people want to get rid of their identity. We've been watching a particular TV series, my wife and I, and there's a guy who's now a pastor, but in his old life, right, before he became a Christian, he was a criminal. And he actually went through a name change. He went to court and he changed his name. And he didn't tell anyone about this until there was a wanted 
um, sign that was up and, you know, the, the baddies he was a part of, the particular gang he was a part of, came into town and wanted to reconnect with them because of his skills. And he didn't want that life anymore. And he would say, no, that person has died. I've actually now got a new name. So sometimes we've got former identities that we really want to get rid of. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is it's possible to change your identity, right? Don't do it through identity theft, right? But embrace your new identity in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to look at scripture and I'm going to unpack uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1 right through from verse 1 through to 14 and uh, see the treasures that are in this passage. So we'll read from verse 1, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. That's so powerful. Jesus was appointed heir of all things. In other words, all things belong to him. But it also says that... Um, through him, the whole universe was made. In other words, the universe was made for him and also by him and through him. That's the centrality of Christ, right? Throughout creation. Now, if everything was created through him and for him, then of course our primary purpose should be to worship him. If everything was created for Jesus and through Jesus, then our primary purpose should be to live for him, to worship him. We must desire to see all things functioning for him. You see, if things are not functioning for Christ, it means that they're not operating according to the purpose of the creator, the purpose which the creator gave them. And this applies to music, it applies to preaching, it applies to churches, it applies to businesses. We function at our best when we're doing what we were created to do. So when we're living for him and we're living through him, then we're functioning at our best. If we, re, if we are to remain aligned to kingdom purpose, then everything we create and do should be through him and for him. So our identity rehabilitation is actually a process of alignment with the king and his kingdom. That's what it is. Our identity rehab is a process of being aligned with the king and his kingdom. And I'm telling you right now that there's actually a fight. There's, there's a war going on for your identity. There's a war going on for your identity and the enemy knows how to wound people in order to rob them of their true identity in God, right? That's why verbal abuse is so destructive because very often people will internalize what has been said about them. See, the thing that ruins you in life isn't so much other people's words. It's how you interpret what they say, okay, and how often you rehearse it until it becomes you. Right? You embrace it as part of your personality. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. So it's a rehabilitation process that a lot of believers go through because we become Christians, but very often in our mind, in our psyche, in our conscience, right? We, we're still warped in how we think concerning ourselves. And you always live out your identity, right? You behave according to how you see yourself. If I believe I'm a cow, when you go and have lunch in a little while, guess what? I'll go and look for grass to eat because I believe that I'm a cow. So when something is made for someone, it is set apart for them. 
When something is made for someone, it is set apart for them. So God is jealous over your identity because he's the one who gives you an identity. We were created in his image. We were made for him. All things were made for Christ and were made through Christ, right? And um, it's set apart for him, right? No one else can use it. My wife has got a beautiful uh, triathlon bike, but when you get a bike like that, um, it's customized to suit you. You literally have to take it to a professional who knows what he's doing and he will make that seat the right size for you. Uh, everything, it's all digitalized now, but um, it's, it's done right angles based on how long your legs are and so on, right? Um, birthday cake. You know, it's very difficult to pass on your birthday cake to someone else, especially if it's a designer birthday cake, right? And it's got that Man United um, logo on it. And if you're a Man United fan, then it's for you. You can't pass it on to someone who supports Tottenham Hotspurs, for example, right? So God created you for himself, right? So when you are living for him, there's flow in your life. The moment you start living with an identity that's for someone else or something else, then you have problems. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, I want to encourage you with this verse. Uh, let's go into verse three. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, sustaining all things by his powerful world word. So creation came out of his word and creation is being sustained by his word. And it's the same with us in our lives. We, we were born by his word. We were born again through his word, right? And his spirit. And then what happens in our lives is that our lives are sustained also by his word. And that's why in terms of my breathing right now, it's sustained by his word. If I need healing, that comes from his word. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them of all their diseases. Diseases. So Jesus is the living word. And when I live by him and through him and for him, and I'm sustained by his word, it's amazing. I'm now living according to my purpose. So we were created by him and we are sustained by him. The entire cosmos, the entire health system, right? Um, and this is why we need to bring his word into every life situation. Um, it happened from the beginning. His word was necessary and his word is necessary as a source of growth and transformation. That's how I grow. That's how I'm changed. It's through his word. You'll see where I'm going with all of this. Okay. Goes on to say, um, <clears throat> after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. All right. He sat down. He had to sit down because his work was finished. He had done what he needed to do, right? So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is so powerful. The name of Jesus is superior, right? The name of Jesus is above every other name. So we see here that names are inherited or given and they determine your power and authority. Names are inherited or given and they determine your power and authority. All authority in earth and in heaven has been given to Jesus. Therefore, he has got the name that is superior to all other names. And what's so exciting for me is he's invited us. He said, 
be in me, abide in me, be one with me, be born of my spirit, okay? And you can also experience the benefits that come with carrying my name. You don't have to look elsewhere. In verse 5, it goes on to say, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels, spirits, and his servants flames of fire. So angels are his servants. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So Jesus is joyful. Amen. Um, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which, the, which, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So that's what he said to Jesus. Sit at my right hand. Jesus is sitting, right? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let me ask you a question. Are you part of Christ's body? Yes, we are. The church is his body, right? Your feet are part of your body. So guess who's under us, right? God's plan and his intention is that he, he, he disarmed all principalities and all powers, right? He disarmed them. They've been disarmed. The war is over. But our job now is to enforce that victory until those enemies are actually part of Jesus's footstool, right? In other words, they're under the church. Now, positionally, that's where they are. But in terms of how I overcome in my life and how I resist the enemy in my life, this needs to become a reality, right? So God desires a church that will overcome. His church is Christ's body and our job is to enforce the defeat. But the only way we can do it is when we fully carry his name because we do it as long as we are connected with Christ Jesus. We don't do it uh, as a legalistic act. We don't do it outside of Christ because of our own intellect, our own works. We do it as part of his body. We are his feet and he's making the enemy his footstool. All right. We are his body. We are his hands and he's making the enemy his footstool. Isn't that so powerful? <clears throat> That's the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So earlier on it says that angels are the Lord's servants. And now it actually explains who they're serving. It says they're ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now, different occasion, I'll speak to you how to make angels work for you, how to get them to work for you, because there are a lot of believers who have not tapped into this, all right? But they're ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Are you inheriting salvation? Yes, 
right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're inheriting the fullness of salvation, okay? So you've got angels that are available to work for you, right, as servants. Now, <clears throat> if you look at Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to look from verse 6 to 11, I want to show you this reality that Jesus, so great, so powerful, name above all names, seated at the right hand of the Father, how does this translate to you and I in terms of where we are positioned. It says, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind? So we're now talking about mankind. We're talking about you and me, right? You and I. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Can you see what's happening? In the same way that Jesus has the enemy under his feet, look how it's describing you and I as believers. It's saying, you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Now, I believe this is actually speaking of creation initially, right? In terms of Adam, right? That he was given this dominion. And so we're going through a rehabilitation so that that thing is restored and it's restored to us in Christ Jesus. But it can only happen when we're walking in our true identity in him. Right. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Isn't this a powerful place to be? Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. So in the natural, we're not seeing it. Right. We're not seeing it. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, okay? In his, when he came in the incarnation, when he died for us, right? But he's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So we don't need to die anymore because he's died, right? Um, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists. That's where you see it again, right? Everything that was created was created for him and through him, right? Should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. In other words, what Jesus experienced, because we are of the same family as him, because we are one with him through his atonement, right? Uh, we can also experience that same glory and that same honor. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus in his death. This is so important. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So what's the revelation we get from this? We are associated with his death and glory and all things coming under his feet. We're associated with that, okay? We're in the same family as Jesus, so we carry the same name. When you're part of the same family, you have the same name. My kids have the same name as me, amen, all right? We are called to glory and dominion. That's what we also see in this text here, that God has called us to glory and dominion. That's the Christian life, and he wants us to start walking in that in this life. It's not something we're waiting for, all right? 
The only thing in terms of salvation that we are waiting for is the full salvation of our physical bodies when we get glorified bodies. But we have been saved. We are being saved. That's sanctification. We're being made holy, right? And we will be saved in terms of the physical body, right? But in terms of us walking in glory, walking in dominion, walking in honor, we can do that because we are in Christ Jesus and his name is the name above every other name. It already is. Okay, and we are in Christ Jesus. It's not like we're waiting for his name to be exalted. His name has already been exalted. And that exalted name, he's already given to you and I. So we are called to glory and dominion. He was crowned with glory and honor so that we can also be crowned with glory and honor. Because Jesus died, we also died in him. And now we can reign as kings in honor, in glory, and in holiness. Those are the three things that are mentioned in this text. Glory honor and holiness. So my question to you is, do you believe that these things are your identity? Do you believe that these things are your identity? And do you value this identity more than any other identity that you can get out there? I said to you at the start, people will steal someone else's identity because they see the value of that particular thing. They will fabricate an identity or they will take someone else's identity or payslip, whatever it is, and pretend it's theirs because they value it. They see the benefit of it. Question, do you see the benefit of who you've become in terms of the new creation? You see, unless we meditate on these things, we will go by other defaults. Unless we fully meditate on these things, we'll go by other identities. So there's a battle for your identity. There's a battle for your identity. Your identity will determine your behavior. And that's why you'll see in scripture when Paul the apostle is trying to stop people from sinning. He doesn't just say to them, stop sinning, naughty, naughty, naughty. What does he say? He says, but don't you realize that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What is he actually saying? He's saying, if you know your identity, there's certain things you won't do. If you know that you're God carriers, there's certain things you won't do. If you know that you carry the same power that uh, raised Jesus from the dead, is actually alive and at work in you, you will also function in that same power. You see, when we have a revelation of the treasures we have in this wonderful new creation, our behavior changes and possibilities change. Possibilities change. That person who was shy and timid and couldn't speak in front of people begins to do so. Why? They know what they carry. We bear his name. The Bible tells us that as Christ is, so are we in this world. Well, as Christ is, how is Christ? Well, his name is exalted in glory and in honor. And I bear his name so I can function in the same way that he did when he was on the earth. I think that's so powerful. When you're so immersed in this, you don't desire any other label. You don't desire any other label. You know, it's like with clothing labels. When you get used to being dressed in Armani or um, uh, Dolce and Gabbana and all those fancy things and so on, right? There's a side of you that doesn't want to be dressed in other things because you've tasted good quality. You know, people who are into labels and, you know, how you dress and that kind of thing. That's what happens. You know, someone gives you a present, for example. I've, I've had this happen to me before where I've been blessed with all sorts of nice things. And then there's that pressure because people see you in those nice things for a few days, uh, a few days running. And what happens? All of a sudden, it's difficult to lower your standard. It's that pressure to maintain that particular standard. So if that's true when it comes to the labels, 
we dress up in. How many of you have tasted Jesus? How many of you have tasted using the name of Jesus? How many of you have tasted the glory of being one with him and associated with him? When you've truly tasted that and you're truly walking in that, you don't desire anything else. You don't desire anything else because that's a step down, right? So <clears throat> when, you, when, when it's part of your identity, walking in this new covenant name, when it's part of your identity, it produces certain results. I still remember going to school with certain people that technically speaking in terms of IQ, they weren't that smart. They might have been in the third set, okay? Remember in those days they would do streaming and you'd have four sets and the clever smart kids would be in set one and then uh, they'll set two, set three, set four, right? And you'd have some kids who were in the third set, but because they came from a family of maybe doctors or engineers or lawyers, you see them ending up getting into university. I don't know how it happened and studying that particular thing. And now today the person is a doctor or some fancy lawyer. And you wonder, how did they do it? I can tell you how they did it. It was part of their identity. In their psyche, they felt, you know what? This is what our family does. And all my uncles do this. My whole family does this. So, hey, I'm a part of this. So let me do it. Okay. That's what identity produces. When you know who you are, you realize how much you can achieve. There's a particular author called Shelley Hendricks, and she said, when you know who you are, you know what to do. Often people struggle when it comes to choices, when it comes to peer pressure, when it comes to decision making because of identity issues. They don't really know who they are. Uh, in a particular series that we've been watching, it's been interesting because uh, there's a particular lady who's from a very wealthy family. She moves to a small town and uh, the dude she's in a relationship with uh, kind of like points out that you don't really know who you are. Your behavior is inconsistent. You're in this small town because you love poor people, you love the marginalized, and you're doing all these things. But from time to time, that rich girl mentality seems to kick into you, right? And what was interesting was that she, she goes through a process, and it's really to do with identity. You know, her dad wants her to marry some other rich guy. Uh, they don't like the guy who she's hooked up to because they feel like, you know what, he doesn't have the social standing that she has. So they really big into this thing. And you see there's some confusion. She, she hits a bit of a wobbly uh, from time to time. But at a certain point, she becomes more consistent and she becomes settled. And a couple of people point this out. A close friend of hers basically says, you, it's because you now know who you are. That's why this has happened. You now actually know who you are. And I want to encourage you, find out who you are, especially who you've become in Christ Jesus. Decision-making becomes super easy. You see, the challenge we face is that a lot of us have multiple identities. You know, I'm a father, I'm a psychologist, I'm a pastor, I'm a business person, I'm a friend, I'm a son, I'm a brother. So we've got all these things competing, vying for attention, but I'm also a Christian. And the key thing is to ask yourself, what's my primary identity? If you're a professional golfer out there, for example, you know, do you see yourself first as I'm a professional golfer? Oh, I happen to also be a Christian, but I'm a professional golfer. Or do you see yourself as primarily a child of God? That's your primary identity, but you happen to also be a golfer. Can you see the difference? We've got all these roles that we play, but it's crucial that Christ is central in all those roles. So instead of just being any father, 
I need to be a Christ-centered father. Instead of just being any husband, which is a very important role, I need to be a Christ-centered husband. You see, instead of just being any pastor, I need to be a Christ-centered pastor. I still remember in the late 90s, I was doing my master's in psychology and um, we had a small class. There were about eight of us or so. And we were asked a question. We were asked to write out our identity, right? The things, the characteristics, the things that distinguish us and that make up our identity. And uh, in order of dominance, we were to list those things. And uh, my, both myself and a Christian friend who was in the particular class, we had Christian right at the top. Other people didn't have that. They might have had their gender as the first thing. They might have had their ethnicity as their first thing. And you see what happens is people will relate to you, right, in various ways based on their value system. And because in life we're having people relating to us in particular ways, the way they relate to us reinforces that aspect of our identity. So if you are in a nation where uh, you've been oppressed because of the color of your skin, you become very conscious of the color of your skin, right? Uh, but in other nations where that's not an issue, you don't necessarily think of yourself according to that, all right? So you find if someone is in Switzerland, for example, and walking around as a black-skinned person, they're probably not always that conscious of I'm black, I'm black, I'm black, I'm black, I'm black, because that's not necessarily an issue, a major issue in a country like Switzerland. But in a country with a history like South Africa, then people become very black conscious because of that and becomes their primary identity. So here's the thing. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. I remember watching, uh, I've been watching a series uh, to do with Bruce Lee and uh, his life. And uh, the Chinese people, it still happens today, but if you think about it in the 60s and in the 70s, there was a lot of um, prejudice against Chinese people in America, okay? There were a lot of opportunities they didn't get. And he was very conscious of that. So a lot of what he did, trying to get into Hollywood, trying to win certain competitions, uh, he was actually because of that. He said he wanted to put China back on the map. He wanted people to know that there's something called China and they're Chinese people. We're not Japanese. So he was conscious of it. And before one of the competitions, he actually said, you know what, when I win this competition, I'm actually going to say out to people, I'm going to say, I am Chinese. So he became proudly Chinese and he did it. After the competition, he won and he shouted out, I am Chinese. And what I've seen happening when it comes to identity is we often overcompensate because of past oppression. And we call this traits due to victimization. Traits due to victimization. If you've been victimized in a particular way, then you go overboard highlighting that I am this. And whilst there's nothing wrong with that because it's part of one's identity, as a believer in Jesus, it's so important to be able to empty yourself of Certain identities, especially when we call them pseudo-identities, I'm part of this gang. A lot of people will join certain gangs because of the sense of meaninglessness of their life and the sense of significance that they're looking for. So they end up getting into very dodgy subcultures just to have a sense of identity. But when you're in Christ Jesus, it's important that the dominant identity we have is who we've become in Christ. You know, the early church had to be in that space because it was a life or death situation. If you're a Christian, you could be persecuted. You could be martyred. If you're not a Christian, then uh, you will be saved in terms of physical death. 
But nowadays, because that's not an issue, you have some people who, are, who keep their Christianity on the down low. They go to work and you say, well, do other people know that you're a believer? Ah, no, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't make a difference to me. I want to ask you, does Jesus make a difference to you? Does your identity in Christ come first? Is it something you talk about? Is it something significant? Or is it just one of the many identities that you have? This is so, so important not to downplay our faith in Christ. Where would you put Jesus and your faith, your oneness with Christ, if you had to write out a list of your identity? Will it come first before your status, before your profession? I've noticed today in contemporary society, for some people, it's so, so important to be known for what you, what you have as a profession. You know, I'm a CA. You know, there's some people, that you, you greet them and you've barely said anything to them and they're telling you, I'm a CA or I'm an engineer. Yes, you worked hard to become that, but make sure it's not your primary identity. I always say this to people, um, define yourself more by your purpose more by your purpose than your profession. You know that some of the leading business people in South Africa today are actually chartered accountants, but they didn't define themselves primarily as that. They just said, I'm a business person. I happen to have a background in, um, in accounting, but I'm a business person first. It's the same for us as believers. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That's my source. That's my sustenance. That's uh, the, 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 what... I get in Christ Jesus is the source. It's not the economy, okay? It's his glory in riches, right? That's, why I'm, that's what I'm looking at, right? As opposed to what my career says I am, okay? So my question to you is, are you going to choose now whether you're going to carry the name of Jesus or are you going to go by other labels that you've attached yourself to? You know, Paul the Apostle, had all sorts of uh, things he had to go through in terms of identity rehab. You know, if you look at his life, Paul the Apostle uh, was this great Pharisee. He was ruthless in how he went about certain things. Uh, he was a Benjamite, okay? So he was in good standing when it came to um, his Hebrew culture. But he had to empty himself of that in order to embrace his new identity in Christ Jesus. You see, here's the thing, you can't have both. And this is what he says in uh, Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I don't know what were gains to you in terms of your former identity. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see, your former identity can give you all sorts of benefits. So you want to grab a hold of it. Maybe it's because of BEE, you know what I mean? So you've got advantages maybe because you are uh, black African, you're female and so on. So you become so conscious of that and it actually ends up superseding your identity in Christ, right? In terms of your conscience, because it's an advantage to you right now. Or maybe years ago you were white and you were male, right? And that became your primary identity because of the benefits associated with that. Right. So there were certain benefits that Paul the Apostle had because of his identity. Right. Uh, but he emptied himself of that because he found something better. And so we, when we look at this text, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, not some things, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. He's using extremes as he's speaking. Because you see, today so many people are so caught up with, but I want to be known for this. And I want to show people that people have, that I've achieved this and I've achieved that, right? But Paul is using extremes and he says, I actually consider everything a loss. Everything, all right? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. In other words, knowing Christ Jesus is so much better. That's what he's saying. For whose sake I have lost all things. My question to you is, what have you lost because you know Christ? What have you lost because you know Christ? Have you been willing to lose all those things? Then he says, I consider them garbage. Okay, I consider them garbage. Are there certain things you see as useless trash today? Maybe it's, maybe you're a straight A student and that was part of your identity. But God is saying, empty yourself of that particular thing. Consider it useless. I'm so blown away when I'm in sessions with certain people who've got wonderful accolades they could talk about, but you, ne you never hear them speaking about them. That's meekness. You never hear them speaking about those things. Why? They've considered them worthless. They've considered them garbage. I know of someone who is really, really uh, well-educated, really brilliant in the corporate world. They did such great work there. And then they decided to become a stay-at-home mom. And I remember recently in a particular masterclass that I was conducting, I, I was introducing the various people. When she introduced herself, she did not mention the fact that she was a chartered accountant in the past. She did not mention certain things that she could have mentioned. And I said to everyone, you know what? I know this person. This person comes from a background where they are very educated and where it was a big deal for them to have that level of education in her community. And she was admired because of that. But it's amazing how she didn't even mention that particular thing. And she said, yeah, it's been a journey. She laid it aside and she's basically saying, you know what? My identity in Christ is more important. And I think that's wonderful. So we see this powerful thing coming through where uh, Paul says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In other words, I won't fully gain Christ if I still consider all these other things as great, all these other identities. If I still see them as wonderful and superior, I will weaken the benefits that I could have gained of being one in Christ. And I think that's so important. He says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So one of the things he considered garbage were his own works. Okay. He's basically saying, you know what? Uh, all those great things I did, I consider them garbage. Right. And he says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he says, I want to know Christ. He was desperate to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And what he's highlighting here is that if I want to know him like this, and if I want to experience this resurrection power, I have to die to those all or to all those other identities. Why? This power lies in my identification with Christ. And, and here's the thing. We don't just use the name of Jesus. We now carry the name of Jesus. We are associated with the name of Jesus, you see. And God is calling us as believers to desire this so much 
but we have to die first in order to experience this resurrection life. So when you choose to carry other labels, you weaken the effect of the new covenant identity on your life. When you choose to carry other labels, you weaken the identity you have and the effect of this new identity of the new covenant. You see, although we have multiple roles, it's important that Christ is at the center of all those particular roles. God is calling us to be Christ-centered business people, Christ-centered husbands, Christ-centered parents, Christ-centered pastors. Christ must be at the center of all these roles that we have. And that's why I asked you earlier on, um, are you a sportsman who happens to be a Christian or are you a Christian first who happens to be a sports person? And that's very important. You know, often people will look for a specific identity just to escape from a sense of meaningless in their lives. You'll see them uh, becoming a part of certain dodgy subgroups or subcultures, but they're looking for an identity. Sometimes it's that search of significance. You know, in contemporary society today, often people are looking for a sense of significance. That's that sense of, I matter, I'm important, or a sense of belonging, I belong somewhere. There's a particular author, Robin Jones Gunn, uh, in Peculiar Treasures, um, stated this, uh, talking about a particular character. Part of her had hoped he would say something like, I want you, Katie. I mean, if you would love that, you know, I want you, whoever, whatever your name is, okay? You belong to me now. I'll take care of you. He didn't say that, but his answer was the best one, really. You belong to Christ, Katie. You belong to Christ, Katie. You see, the Bible tells me that I'm complete in Christ. In Christ, I have everything that I need. And that's the answer a lot of us are looking for. You know that knowing your identity in Christ will boost your self-esteem. It reduces anxiety and depression in your life. Often the reason why people have psychosomatic sicknesses today is because of identity issues. They don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. And I think it's just amazingly powerful when we know who we are. I shared with you earlier on about um, certain people who come to a place of knowing themselves and after knowing themselves, everything is settled. I, I think it's so powerful when we minister to each other in the body of Christ and we reinforce our identity in Christ. So for example, if you've got a friend who's very critical towards other people, you could simply keep saying to that friend, why do you keep reminding people of what Jesus has chosen to forget? Right? Because when we look in scripture, it says, I will remember your sins no more. So why is it that you keep reminding people right, of things that God has chosen to remember no more? Right? That's a very powerful statement because we should treat people how God has treated us. Okay? Why do you need to be included or be in the in-group if God has already told you that, you know what, you are hidden with Christ in God? That's what the scripture tells us in Colossians 3 verse 3. It says, for you died. So you have to have first died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, when you meditate on these kinds of things, it's so powerful. It boosts your self-acceptance because you realize that, you know what? 
The fact that I wasn't invited to that party or that function is completely insignificant because what is strong in my psyche, in my conscience, is the fact that I belong to Christ and I've been accepted in the beloved, right? And because he accepts me, I carry that sense of self-acceptance with me wherever I go. So people's rejection of me literally bounces off me. I actually feel sorry for them that they're rejecting me because it's their loss. Why? I'm more conscious of my acceptance in Christ than I am of your rejection of me. And I think it's, I think it's phenomenal when we have this revelation. That's why Jesus would talk about um, us having a revelation of the Father's love for us, actually being in us. Okay, He would talk about abide in me, remain in me. What is he doing there? He was basically reinforcing our sense of belonging in him. Right? He was reinforcing that. If we want to be people that function in the supernatural, then we must be completely in Christ when it comes to our identity. This is so important because when I share this kind of thing, you might say to me, but Paul, it's not human nature. You know, it is human nature, Paul, you know, for us to actually want to belong somewhere and be accepted by these people and validated by those people. It's human nature. But here's the problem. Do you want to remain functioning from a place of human nature or do you want to be functioning as someone who's become a partaker of the divine nature, as scripture says, okay, because you become one with God, right? The funny thing is a lot of believers really want to be accepted by the people around them. They're really looking for things, right, to find their primary identity in that are outside of Christ. But a few minutes later, they want to perform great miracles. Well, the thing is you can't have both. If you want to perform great miracles, you have to be aligned with the miracle performer who is Christ and know that you are one with Christ. You bear his name. You don't just use his name. You carry his name. You see, um, <clears throat> I think it's phenomenal when we um, grasp some of these principles. Okay, so, so let's not have a mindset that says, now God will listen to me because I've done this or I've done that. Because the moment you do that, you are moving away from seeing Christ as your righteousness and you are now basing your life on your works, which is another identity. A big identity for a lot of religious people is their works. It's their works. You know, Lord, I did this. Lord, I did that. Therefore, you must give me this. And they get very sad when they don't get that particular breakthrough because they say, but I did this and I did that, Lord. And God is like, yeah, exactly. You did it in your own strength. No flesh shall boast or shall glory in my presence, says the Lord. Okay, so <clears throat> that's very important. It's also important for us to realize that Jesus delivered us from sin. Yes, but not only that, he delivered us also from the guilty conscience that came with sin. The sense of unworthiness, deep sense of unworthiness that came with sin. The deep sense of condemnation that came with sin. But the enemy's strategy against us is for us to have our identities built around our sin nature. Not Christ in us, but our sin nature, our deep sense of unworthiness. And the moment we go that route and that becomes our conscience, what tends to happen is we will always look for things around us to boost our esteem, to boost our sense of identity, our sense of self. 
because of that deep sense of unworthiness. But when I'm conscious of what Christ has done and Christ's righteousness, I'm free from all of those other things. So my question to you is, how are you praying when you pray? When you're praying, don't confess your good works, rather confess God's finished work, Christ's finished work. I want to encourage that in us. It's so important because sometimes what tends to happen is when we're praying the promises of God, instead of just declaring the promises of God, we get caught up in our own works, how we are meeting those conditions to the promise. But you know, for me, it becomes scary because I know that, you know what, if I say, Lord, I'm so generous or Lord, I've been a faithful tither, there's a fine line between that and me boasting in my own works because I know I haven't been a perfect tither. I know I haven't been perfectly generous. So I would rather lean on his promises, his great and precious promises, and that alone, right? He can look and explore what I've done, you know, or haven't done. But I know that my works will always come up short. So I'll focus on his work, his finished work in Calvary, right? And then I will claim his promises, right? Everything we're talking about today, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's where we get our breakthrough. It's never our works. Okay. If you want to love God more, if you want to have as your identity, I'm a God lover, then meditate on his mercy and his grace toward you more and more. That's why when Jesus speaks um, and he's in that situation with the woman who was known as a sinner and she's got that alabaster jar and she pours out that perfume over him and so on, right? People judged him for that. But what did he end up saying? He says, he or she who is forgiven much will love much, okay? Will love much. And so what is that talking about? If I want to be a God lover as part of my primary identity, I need to meditate on his mercy and on his grace. You see, I need that. And it's easy for people to receive this who've maybe had a distinctly bad past where it's clear that, oh God, you needed to have forgiven me. But sometimes with church folk, they become self-righteous and they start leaning on that as their primary identity, right? And so they don't meditate on his grace and forgiveness because they haven't got that realization that they've had to be forgiven a lot. So people might say, Paul, you're not that critical. You're easy to work with. You don't criticize a whole lot. Where does that come from? And for me, I want to make sure I have the grace of God operating on my life. I'm so aware that with the same measure I judge other people, I will be judged, as the scripture says. So focus on his finished work if you want to have your identity in him. It's so, so important. Okay. Many people know that they are saved by grace, but sadly, they try to grow by works. Okay. So their prayers become work-based. Their fasting is work-based, okay? They get very disappointed when they don't get the breakthrough, right? Because they've been leaning on their work. Now, we see something interesting in scripture that whenever God wants to use some of the patriarchs and some of the great people in scripture, you find that he declares a new identity over them. Isn't that powerful, right? Um, because there's power in being given a name. Remember at the start, we spoke about how names are inherited or given, and, it, and there's power in your name. It speaks of your characteristics. It speaks of your destiny. It speaks of your purpose. And so we see, for example, Simon, right? His name is Simon, which uh, speaks of the Lord has heard, but then it's changed to Peter, which means rock, 
right? And as God was launching him out, as Jesus was launching him out, he had to change his identity. We see the same thing with Jacob, don't we? Where uh, Jacob is the name, uh, a name that means deceiver or supplanter, but then he wrestles with God and God says, you know what? You're now called Israel, which literally is prince with God or ruler with God, okay? Because of how God wanted to use him, right? And then there's certain names that were given as people were born. For example, it was said, you know what? You'll call your son Isaac, which means laugh or laughter, all right? And then we also have what happened with Abraham and Sarah, right? It was Abram. He was called Abram, which speaks of exalted father. And when God wanted to use him and what God wanted to remind him of the promise, what did he do? He changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Sarai, she was called Sarai, which means my princess. I think that's a beautiful name, but God changed it and, and called her Sarah, which means mother of many nations. And you see, in the new covenant, I believe we also experience a name change. We experience a name change. And the way we experience it is that, you know what? It's not like as soon as you're born again, God says, okay, your name is now this, right? But the way we typically experience it is when we are in Christ Jesus, he gives us his name. I said to you at the start, here's the heir of all things, basically saying, I'm so excited. You haven't prayed in my name before, but now you'll pray in my name and I'll grant you whatever you ask for when you're praying in my name. We now bear his name. We carry his name. Throughout scripture, you will see certain na the name of God associated with nations, associated with cities, associated with tribes. You know, the Bible speak of that nation that bears my name. Are you that person that bears his name? Are you ashamed of his name? Or are you proud of being associated with his name? I think that's phenomenal. I, I want to encourage you as I end off um, with Ephesians 2 verse 6. This is a very powerful uh, verse and I believe that it will speak to you as you meditate on it in the days to come. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you a question. What would change in you if you saw yourself completely as God sees you? What would be different in your life? If you saw yourself as God sees you, because right now he's looking at you and he's seeing you positioned with Christ Jesus, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you, pray from that place, relate to people from that place because you've become one with Christ. That's your identity. Empty yourself. I must empty myself of any other form of identity. It needs to be weakened and I need to fully embrace Christ so that all the other roles I play, yes, they're valid, but in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, they, they look like garbage. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our hearts and I thank you for the things that you're teaching us. Lord, we pray that grace will be released and activated in each of our lives, the grace to die to all those things that we saw as gain, the grace, Lord God, to relate to people based on who they've become in Christ and not based on their past. We open our hearts to you, Lord, and we ask that you give us this revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to encourage you to stay with us as we embark on this journey concerning identity. I want to show you the power of identity in the weeks to come and you will see how God will just take us to another level. This is so key in the Christian walk. God bless you. Thank you.